Welcome to the Bitcoin Aggregated Podcast. Um, today's guest is pretty special, uh, Jake Woodhouse. Um, and I came across him through a tweet. It was really, really cool, actually. Um, basically, I was trying to explain to somebody, uh, actually I had a guy out to the house who was um, kind of lost everything and his wife's like lost her business and all that sort of thing. And he's quite angry, sort of talking about the... Um, politicians and you know uh, violence being the answer and that sort of thing and I was trying to explain to him that you kind of need to get to the the root cause of that and if we could direct all the energy of people like yelling at police and yelling at um, politicians into something like learning about the lightning network um, all of that would sort of resolve itself but he couldn't quite get it Anyway, so like in the midst of doing that synchronicity, I saw this on a tweet. <laughs> I was so excited to see somebody with the same mindset. So uh, welcome, Jake. Um, thanks heaps for doing this. Uh, pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just wanted to get your um, thought behind that. So obviously like my, my, my thinking behind uh, what you were sort of doing there at, at the protest was kind of a, well, from my perspective, it'd be sort of apolitical. Um, it doesn't really matter if people are right or left or whatever, or, you know, it's it's important for everybody. But uh, I just love the fact that you were sort of out there with that message in the midst of people being so angry. Um, so yeah, what, what was your what was your thinking behind it? Um, well, I mean, first and foremost, I believe it in that, it's very much a, um, well, where do we even start? I mean, the Bitcoin rabbit hole is a very long, multiple, um, there's multiple turns along the way. There's all sorts of different um, topics, angles, subjects that come up during the process of learning about it that um, cover basically everything in life. Um, so, it's it's hard to answer in just one quick question, but long story short, I think that the ultimate form of protest against the current system is to take your money out of your bank account, out of your stocks and shares account, out of perhaps even your real estate in the house you live in, and put it into Bitcoin, a neutral, um, leaderless um, monetary network that's uncensorable that allows you to send value to anyone anywhere in the world whenever you want without a middleman. And, and even understanding what that statement means takes some work. So, um, yeah, it, it, for me, it's like the ultimate form of protest for anything you see going on, frankly, you know, two simple questions. Do you think the government spends too much money? Yes or no. Do you think the government takes too much of your money? Yes or no. The answer for pretty much anyone anywhere when you ask them that question is yes on both fronts. You know, okay, well, one of the reasons that that situation has arisen is due to our monetary system. And there's a small group of people in the world that have access to a money printer. We have to spend 300 days of the year or whatever it might be going out to work, uh, whatever your profession might be to earn your cheddar cheese to feed your family. And they take half of it straight away, one. But two, the hard work you put in to make your money, someone somewhere literally just presses a button arbitrarily on a computer and they create trillions of dollars that frankly siphons almost directly to their close allies. And there's something called the Cantillon effect that I'm sure you know about, that really just talks about how when someone controls the money supply, the, the main value of increased money supply accretes to those closest to the money supply. And a, a good example being, um, think back to, uh, from a historical context, you'd have a king and the king would have a set of, um, affiliates at a very high level close to them and if you were best buddies with the king then you got land you got a, a title and you got you know a an easier ride through said fiefdom that's the same thing that happens today frankly we just get sold a different dream you know um so yeah lots to un uh, uh, lots to unpack in terms of why i think that you know if you want freedom by bitcoin is an important statement um and a form of protest in itself, but it, it applies to everyone anywhere. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to dive into anything you want to you want to highlight, frankly. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I think the the whole like they take fifty percent thing. Um, see, I would I would be happy with that if I could see where it was going in real time. In fact, I'd pay more taxes. But you can't. It goes into a debt black hole. So if I could choose, like in real time on the Lightning Network, oh, I want my money to go to these schools and these services, and you could see that, and there's authentication on the end of that. <laughs> Wonderful. And I think. I, that, that was really crystallized um, to me by someone in the blockchain center in Melbourne a uh, number of years ago, we were just kind of sitting, talking about stuff. And he said, he brought up the term um, uh, left-wing libertarianism. And I thought that's kind of stuck with me. I'm like, oh, I really like that because it throws people off for starters. And second, it's that's what I think most people kind of are, you know what I mean? Like everybody wants to help other people, but we don't have the means to do that. So I think that's a really key point. Um, before we get into anything else, could you tell us about, oh, actually, and I'll, sh I'll share this tweet because I thought it was really funny. Um, your Bitcoin journey. <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, but do you think you might be able to just run us through your like from the sort of your inception to when you sort of learned about it to now and your, your journey for the BTC network, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, personally, I find people's personal journeys the most fascinating subjects, like understanding people, understanding what happened to them in their lifetime, this concept of kind of nature versus nurture. And you, you, you have to survive, right? There's so many different things that get thrown at you. Um, so to try not to tell too long a story, the, I mean, well, I mean, I guess where to start. So just from a Bitcoin perspective, specifically, I, I first bought some Bitcoin in 2015 and it was on the recommendation of a friend. It was about $450 a time at the time us. I was living in Singapore and, um, you know, one of my mates was like, you've got to have a look at this. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, you know, threw, threw some money at it, picked up some coins, sat on them for eight months, took my now wife on holiday to Japan with some of the profits, uh, sold some more and took her, we went, decided to quit our jobs and travel around South America. Um, nice. The El Salvador? <laughs> no, we didn't go to El Salvador. Ah. No, but we did, we did a load of, um, a load of, well, Argentina and then all up the West Coast and ended up in Cuba. Oh, nice. Funny enough, actually, I tried to access my Coinbase account when in Cuba, and due to the sanctions from the states, my what? Coinbase account got frozen, and I oh. thought my my Bitcoin had been basically gone forever. Not your keys, um, because <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to basically illicitly use Bitcoin in Cuba. Oh, um, thankfully, someone got back to me, and they got unfrozen, and it was fine. But um, yeah, the, the Bitcoin journey is multifaceted. There's so many different things that happened along the way. 2017, I was very uncertain as to whether or not it would even survive. There was the block size war going on. Bitcoin cash became a thing. And I actually ended up selling my Bitcoin cash for a um, 1980s Mercedes SL uh, car. So a 40-year-old classic car that constantly broke down, leaked. And I sold it like three or four months later. It was the worst thing I ever did. <laughs> oh, no. and I think at the time, that I mean, that, that value now had I just converted it to Bitcoin would be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, so anyone that was lucky enough to buy early on and, and held the whole way to today, everyone makes it sound easy. Oh, it's no. not, no. it's not at all. And the risk profile today is actually a lot more attractive to an investor than it was five years ago. So I've been through this, this process of, you know, I, I got, I got involved, got some skin in the game, learned about it a little bit. Um, pissed it up the wall and I probably kept, I don't know, 20% of what I originally bought. And then 2018 crash. And I, I basically didn't necessarily think about it until um, midway through last year. So 2020, I started really paying attention again. And as context, my going further back, um, I've been interested in wealth preservation for a very long time. And it's a sad story in a sense. My father died as a young man who's 48. And I was 20 years old and ended up as the eldest child of my family. And we had a, a property in the UK that, <clears throat> frankly, we couldn't afford to keep. Um, the, the will said it was, you know, to go to me, but 
I decided I didn't want my mum living in my dad's tomb where he died for you know the next 10 years of her life and um I was still at university etc so we decided to sell that property it'd been in the family for like three generations or whatever really difficult decision something that should never have happened but you know you end up in that position yeah and so I inherited money as a young man and the the onus is like how do you preserve this capital to give it to your kids and it's a really really fucking difficult thing to do frankly Mm -hmm. yeah so i've been battling with that question for 10 years and um during that time i've invested into i've used a wealth management service for example so like a financial advisor you they charge you one percent a year regardless of performance and they dump you into a load of assets that often you don't really understand what they are, right? You get a, a portfolio at the end of the year and you're like, these are all the trades we did. This is all the, the companies that you own. And you get like a nice lunch. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, it's going up, right? So that's a good thing. And they're looking after your money. You've kind of outsourced the responsibility for your wealth management to someone else. Um, I did a couple of property investments. So physical real estate. I have bought some shitty ICOs. I've you know, bought other cryptocurrencies. Um, Oh, a whole ton of different things. And the whole concept obviously is to, to, to store wealth for the long term to give to my kids and my grandkids. And with that like lens on, I hadn't understood quite how poorly my current asset portfolio was performing. And um, it wasn't really until March of last year when they really hit the money printer, right? The, the, the trillions of dollars that the states has pumped into their economy with a, is with a T. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, next level. And as someone who was still a student, really at the back end of the global financial crisis, 2008, I wasn't kind of completely in the right headspace to understand what was going on. Mm. And um, yeah, so to, to go back to that tweet slightly, like, you know, yeah, sure. It's a fucking scam. Like yeah. get away from it. Like all of the mainstream media and anyone in, in the in the world be like, well, government does the money. Why do I need someone else's money? Like, whatever. Yeah. So you go scam, then you buy some, you get some skin in the game, then it goes up and like sweet. And and I specifically commented on Sailor, uh, Mr. Michael Sailor, who's been very influential in my journey and perhaps many other Bitcoiners to date. Yeah. And he did an awesome. interview with Raoul Powell in October last year, something like that. I think I remember called, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Bitcoin infiltrates corporate America. And then, so here was this guy who was, you know, an MIT rocket scientist who ended up setting up his own company. He is, you know, 50 plus, has the, he's the longest serving uh, stock listed CEO in the States. And he had a problem, which was he had $500 million of cash. And it was like a melting ice cube. And he goes to the wealth managers on Wall Street and they're like, diversify, 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 buy all this stuff. And he's like, no, that's bullshit. He'd written a book called The Mobile Wave, I think it is. I haven't read it myself, but it's all about how social networks are going to take over and the network effect of digital monopolies is going to be insurpassable, basically. So you want to own Amazon, you want to own Google and a couple of other the big tech stocks, and that's it. So he didn't believe what the, the wealth management business was selling him. And then he came across Bitcoin and he started reading stuff from... Um, all sorts of the the leading voices in the industry that we know of, of course. Uh, and he suddenly like, this is it. And so he did his research. He got his company, which is stock listed, so heavily regulated with lawyers, accountants, board of directors, shareholders to agree. And without anyone knowing, he bought $450 million worth of Bitcoin. And, and during that interview, he makes a comment around how, how does my company know that it can survive in 100 years from now. That that was the time frame he was thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly, to me, it really resonated as someone who'd, you know, had this pot of money as a right. you know, low 20 year olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, that's how I'm thinking. I'm like, yeah. okay, well, how can I make sure that this is something that 100 years from now is, is going to be still there? Yep. And, you know, I'm not nearly as, uh, as, as well educated as Michael Saylor on this concept of, um, of investment over time. But when he breaks down, like keep it in cash and like really the value is gone in just a few years, keep it in the stock market. It's pretty much gone in 50 years. And then, you know, even real estate has got a margin of four to, you know, two to 4% a year that it's, it's eroding away. 
Uh, and it basically all roads lead to Bitcoin. I'm like, wow, okay, this is interesting. So that was and your so aha I, moment listening to Seller. That, well, that was the that wow. was the like that was the that was the moment when it was like totally legitimized. Yep. It's like, yep. Hang on, okay. This is this is this is really, really interesting. You need wow. to take a deeper look. And so that's when in the last 18 months, basically, just a total obsession. Like I have bashed through hundreds of hours of books, podcasts, articles youtube and it's it's got more and more interesting the further along that i've got and, and asking the question what is money i mean robert breedlove does an unbelievably good youtube series that takes time to get through but my god yeah. it's valuable oh, it's it's awesome yeah, yeah um really so so that's just like a, a ton of context as to why i found that's, bitcoin compelling and i think that anyone who is interested in saving value over time needs to look at this asset class um yeah, I mean, I'll stop talking now. I'm sure you've got some questions and stuff. <laughs> I'll otherwise, no, I'll ramble on for too long. But that, that it's, was awesome. it's, it's, it's the most compelling thing I've ever ever researched in my life. That's so cool. That's so cool. So you're living inside the protocol now, as Max Kaiser would say. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Very cool. Um, you know what I love about Sailor as well? Like, he had the humility. So he publicly said he hated Bitcoin initially and said he didn't get it, doesn't like it. But unlike some other public figures that uh, sort of come out and just constantly stay on that narrative, even though they know it's wrong, right? He flipped and he was like, yeah, totally wrong. And this is why. And then he's the most articulate person I think to ever talk about it. So I love, I love his story. That's so cool that it, that it was that that sort of sparked your, not your interest, mm. initial interest, but then your understanding. That's, yeah. That's well, awesome. I think maybe I was, I was, I was lucky because I'd had, you know, I just, I logged into my, my Trezor and then there was the, the Bitcoin just sitting there. It's like, well, yeah. hang on. I've basically done five years worth of due diligence on this thing without really realizing that's what I was doing in yep. that, you know, I've sent it to people. I've used it myself. I've, I've, I've kept it and, and there it is. It hasn't been debased. It's still following the same rules. And um, I mean, another part of this, this kind of contextual story that I didn't touch on, but in 2016, I quit my job that I was doing. And as I mentioned, we traveled, my wife and I got into, I got back to London, having been living in Singapore. And um, <clears throat> I got involved in the angel investment community. So uh, the concept of an angel investor is you're buying very, very early stage equity in startup companies. And I had a very specific focus on um, sustainability. I was very, very interested at the time in how we can build technology to um, fight climate change. And, and it's amazing how my thought process has changed to date in that um, I'm now fully of the belief that Bitcoin adoption is the most important tool when it comes to long-term sustainability and resource management and yeah. that the concept of time preference that Saifedine talks so well about in the Bitcoin standard yes. um, is, is just a real light bulb moment for someone who's interested in sustainability. But to, before I go down that hole... <clears throat> well, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, but sorry to cut you off, but that kind of back to the beginning of what we were talking about, you know, sort of right wing, left wing politics, like that's very uh, like environmental issues are very left wing. Um, mm. So it's it's bipartisan, right? I think that it's so um, it's so exciting to see. That's oh, all good. Um, so exciting to see like that for all these issues and like the you like marching through a crowd of people sort of angry about something that they're not going to be able to change with that sign. You could be doing that in an in environmental, uh, like greens, yeah, protest yeah. as well. So it's it's amazing. Well, and it's I mean I spent literally like four years heavily down the sustainability hole. Yeah, looking at food, looking at energy, looking at transport, and and it's 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 a fascinating space. And looking at how the world might look in twenty years' time, um, the, the 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 way that an angel investor thinks is. Um, you're looking for outrageous growth curves. So yeah. you take big risk and you do it across 10 small companies. And I did it via a, an angel investment syndicate. So I was able to invest alongside a whole load of much more experienced investors than myself because I was, you know, 28, 29 years old. I didn't, I didn't know what I was fucking doing. <laughs> and so I paid my 500 quid. I joined this syndicate and suddenly I was next to 60-year-old ex-venture capitalists who were looking at the space, sharing their due diligence, sharing their deal flow, and I was like, cool, okay, well, all I've really got to do is 
work out who I really respect within this group of people and just jump in alongside whatever they're investing in. Because if they're in, they're way smarter, way more experienced than me. And they'll help me make sure that the term sheet's all correct and the shareholder agreement, et cetera. So through that, I understood how to due diligence early stage investment. And there's a number of things I got from it. Number one, leveraging other people's due diligence is totally and utterly respectable as long as you trust who those people are. Um, and so the relevance of that being if Sailor and his company have done it, then bingo, that's as good a due diligence on Bitcoin as you'll ever get. And then number two was really around um, the growth you're looking for. So you're looking at, you know, the team, the market, the product, the traction so far, there's lots of different angles to it. Um, but there's a, a framework that I um, really enjoyed and resonated with. It's, it's called um, searching for lines, not dots. So let's say you today, an entrepreneur pitching for money from me, this would be a conversation we'd have that for me would be a data point in time like okay i understand where you're at and what you've been thinking of working on and what your plans for the future are if we met in six months time and you've achieved all those milestones and beaten them then i can plot on a graph on a progress perspective your first dot you don't really know anything about you but as soon as you've got the second one you've beaten your expectations i can see your progress is is the hockey stick basically mm -hmm. and so in order to get those gains, you have to lock your money up for a very long time. It's very risky, i.e. you might never get it back. Uh, it's highly illiquid, so you can't sell it unless there's a, a moment when the company has a liquidation point. So there's a number of reasons why ancient investing is exciting, but also difficult to do. Mm. And your money's tied up for maybe 10, 15 years. Who knows? I'm, I'm actually hopefully just around the corner for my first exit, which would be four years this company's had my money. And that's early to get your money back point being i then it's like okay in maybe 12 months ago i'm like what, what does bitcoin look like on that progress scale and it's like hang on this has gone so what i paid i was 100x up in five years or whatever it was fucking hell that's incredible gain like a, a, a startup investor an angel might hope to get you know you're looking for 10x or something but four years, then, that's an interesting time frame. It's kind of like very right? similar, right? Yeah. Four years. And so like, okay, well, that's incredible growth. And actually that entire time, my money was completely liquid. So I could sell it whenever I wanted. And I could move it wherever I want. You know, hang on. This is, this is the best startup investment you could ever make. Yeah. And what if it does it again? And you know that you're not going to get debased. And then you look at the adoption curve of Bitcoin. And it's like still like, a, you know, under 10% of the world. So you've got a 90% global market to get after. It's mind-blowing when you start to look at it through some of these things. So yeah, yeah the, the startup investment taught me about, A, you can leverage other people's due diligence, but then B, this kind of growth chart and thinking about it through those eyes. I was like, wow, Bitcoin's really interesting. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, so on that note, would you consider yourself a maxi? Um, uh <laughs> tough question i mean i i own other assets so the truth is i'm not full bitcoin maximalist um, yep. there is always a trade-off with risk and reward with anything you own so i'm in my house that i own now am i going to sell that for bitcoin maybe because the bitcoin market is going to absolutely fly and real estate is going to become more regulated more difficult to get your money out and who knows what might happen with, um, you know, interest rates going up and perhaps there'll be some kind of crash. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, philosophically, I associate very closely with Bitcoin maximalism. There's a lot of it that's um, very compelling to me, this concept of genuine decentralization and, you know, taking the comparison between Ethereum and Bitcoin, for example, like, you know, go and find Vitalik and pay him an extraordinary amount of money and he'll just change the rules because he can. Yeah. And although it can't necessarily be turned off, which is different to, you know, some of these like walled gardens that are the likes of Facebook and, um, and Twitter, like they can just literally just like switch you off if mm -hmm. they want to, uh, which is an improvement in a sense. It, it's still not totally decentralized. And so when you start thinking about, well, actually we're, we're creating a new money here. This is, this, is, this is what Bitcoin is. It's a new form of money. And you've got users, nodes, and miners. And the entire thing is totally decentralized. 
and you're like, wow, that's actually incredibly profound. Mm. Now, the, the, the returns you can get in Bitcoin are also extraordinary. So why not just become a Bitcoin maximalist? And this idea of, of reducing inequality in the world because you have equality of opportunity. And I go back to the, the story I was telling earlier about how we get taxed, we work fucking hard all year, and then someone can just print a trillion dollars. So, yeah. well, that's not fair. Yep. And then all of that money is quite clearly accreting to a small group of people. And you only have to look at wonderful website called what the fuck happened in 1971 that just shows you all the data and basically for the 50 years since they removed themselves from the gold standard in the states the the quality of living for the middle class and and lower class families has been reducing every year yeah it's, yeah. it's right there in the data so I, I do love this concept of of pushing the adoption of a neutral money that in my opinion just solves so many problems mm -hmm. and so and going back to the sustainability subject Someone who is making the median wage or, or whatever that might be, let's take here in Australia, um, it's very difficult to save money. And I mean, in the States, for example, 40% of Americans have no savings whatsoever. Why is that? Well, one, the, the cost of goods and the cost of living is going up faster than their, their wages, right? Like real wages, is, they're not going up, yet the cost of everything around them is going up. On top of that, it's this concept that I touched on briefly of time preference. If you get paid $10 and you know that in a year's time, that $10 will only buy you a real value of eight bucks, then you're better off spending that $10 today. So in a sense, it, it drives this very short-term um, demand for goods and services, but equally the, the person with the money, it's incentivized to spend it today and not save it. And this then creates this very like short cycle, essentially. So what if you were given 10 bucks and then that $10 was stored in a system that next year actually it might give you the uh, purchasing power of $12. So it's a, a deflationary money. You're like, whoa, well, that would be better, wouldn't it? And so I see all sorts of kind of um, evolution happening in terms of people's day-to-day -day, um, concepts and... There's some awesome podcasts you can go back through and listen to about this, but um, there's one with Marty, ba Marty Bent and um, oh, he's I great, think it's yeah. Monsieur Mamidov, like from four years ago, and he's written a book called Bitcoin Will Save You Time. And it's just fascinating listening to how when you store your wealth, which is essentially your energy, which is what you can go to work and earn on a daily basis, somewhere that doesn't lose value over time, but actually increases in value over time, will be working less. And this concept of like being in the rat race for 40 years and then perhaps getting a retirement fee from the government that has frankly obviously mismanaged their, their pension pots. And now there's no fucking money. Or hope, like cool. hope that your, your super is going to be there somehow when you're 60. Correct. So years the old, super like... would be the one here. So <laughs> I see a lot of um, benefits for Bitcoin adoption that um, vastly superior to the current system for the average person. And that's, that's something very compelling to me as a goal to work towards. So I, I do resonate a lot with Bitcoin maximalism. Mm -hmm. um, but then equally, I'm working on some strategies to accumulate more Bitcoin. I mean, in some ways, you could, you could argue this is a Bitcoin maximalist strategy anyway. But there are assets out there that outpace Bitcoin for periods of time. So if you understand how to read charts and you understand what you're buying and when to buy, then, you know, for example... Ethereum has outpaced Bitcoin for periods of the last 12 months. So if you move some of your Bitcoin into Ethereum and then you time it correctly for six months, you might've put one Bitcoin in and then it goes up against Bitcoin and then you move it back into Bitcoin. You might have, I mean, one of my friends who's done this very successfully, he put one Bitcoin into Ethereum about 18 months ago. He's still, still working on that trade. And if he sold it all today and put it back in Bitcoin, he's got four Bitcoin. What about the capital gains? Well, you'd have to pay that. Yeah. And that's all subject to the jurisdiction that you live in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's pretty cool, actually. And I, I then I resonate with this concept of building a extremely strong, completely indestructible. And to quote Michael Saylor, a, what's the best superpower? Well, the best superpower is the, the, the character that literally cannot be killed. Being indestructible is the best. Sure, yeah. you can shoot you know, stuff out of your eyes like lasers or you can breathe fire or whatever. <laughs> but if you can be killed, then it doesn't matter. So 
Bitcoin is potentially this indestructible base layer that then many, many different applications can be built on top of. Um, yeah, lots to talk about. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I think from, from your history of doing angel investing, I thought maybe you might see, uh, I know I, there was a lot of ICO scams and that sort of thing, but yeah. um, alternative proof of work networks. So um, things like LBRY, um, things like Handshake, where they're doing decentralized, very specific things um, that you wouldn't necessarily build out on the Bitcoin network, but could be deemed as just as important. So like uh, with the Handshake network, they're, they're, it's, it's proof of work and they're building out decentralized DNS. Um, you wouldn't necessarily do that on the BTC blockchain. I mean, you could uh, eventually, I suppose. But the way I kind of see some of these alts is, like you said, um, giving your energy to a project. So if you can sort of see, and this is the way I've always kind of looked at investing, oh, these people are building something really cool. I want to help them do that. And the best means to do that is really with cryptocurrency and with um, decentralized uh, energy, I suppose you could call it. So like um, what they're building with the LBRY blockchain is basically decentralized YouTube. And they've done a really good job at it. And I think they should be rewarded for doing that, right? Um, so like, what, what do you think about that? Like these other, but not, maybe not even necessarily proof of work, but like decentralized systems built off like IPFS and that sort of thing that are, um, I, I kind of treat them all as forks of BTC that could later be rolled in. But in the meantime, people are doing some really hard work and good work that kind of gets overlooked by the narrative of like, Shibu Inu, <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah. like, you know it, it takes away from that when they're doing some really awesome stuff. Uh, so I can't comment specifically on those two projects that you mentioned, frankly, because yeah. um, I, I don't know about them myself and, and the history of them. But um, as a very general view, um, I believe entrepreneurs are the most important part of any economy. And entrepreneurs, they see problems and they solve them. And for that process, they should be paid. But to achieve that process, they often need help. And that help can come in the form of talent, so specific skills, et cetera, but also in, in terms of capital. Uh, and it's absolutely true that what blockchain has enabled is a potentially um, very innovative funding model where you effectively can create a cryptocurrency that's then tradable through all of these different exchanges globally, and instead of having a, a nation state's worth of potential investors, you've got the entire globe. It's incredible. Yeah. All of these people that, you know, previously weren't able to access deals. So, so to take the, the angel investment example, uh, you had to show that you were either a professional investor or a high net wealth individual. Because apparently, if you don't have much money, the government says you're not allowed to make decisions on how to take risk with it. Yep. This is some of the most communist crap I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. I'm sorry, but you go to work and you work hard and you have your money and you should be able to do what the hell you want with it. Mm -hmm. Not have some arbitrary regulation that steps and says, oh, well, you don't know how to manage your money. <laughs> and so in yeah. some ways, the, the crypto boom is, um, is a, a function of or, or a, an output of the amount of people that are currently kind of not allowed into the early stage risk investment market, which is obviously complete horseshit. Like who decided that? Why is that even true? And so, so much of this pent up cash is just sitting there going, wow, awesome, let's have a crack. Now, what you decide to put your money into, you know, do your own research. Like yeah. none of what I'm talking about is financial advice. Find yeah. people that you trust, look at their story, understand why they're genuine and real. And absolutely, there is some life-changing wealth being created by people who've been smart. Mm -hmm. You know, a company I'm really interested in is the Celsius Network. Yeah. And Alex cool. Mashinsky, who runs that company, I mean, that's the best entrepreneur CV I've ever looked at. And I looked mm -hmm. at hundreds of startups. I mean, the guy's built $3 billion companies before. Yeah. He is not fucking around. Yeah. So... You know, yes, by putting I, I loved, as, as a side note to him, I loved his um, analogy of BTC to the VoIP protocol. That yes, correct. Do you remember that one? That was cool. Yeah, was yeah, like, the money to, over internet. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so, wow, this guy's got real clarity, sees the opportunity, 
And, you know, sure, you relinquish control of your coins when you put them in Celsius. So yeah. the, the not your keys, not your coins mantra, which I, I, den I genuinely you know, think is crucial to Bitcoin adoption. And this whole idea of don't trust verify, like don't put all of your assets into a wealth manager and trust them. Equally, like a bank, they can literally impound it tomorrow if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. We've got this culture of, of trusting third parties that was crucial to build what we've built so far and centralization of, of organizations. You know, you, you don't want two people running the same book of transactions in case they get it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. You need one. And yeah. that's the, that's the, the truth. Um, so Celsius is an example of a, a project that I think is fascinating how quickly they're creating value. So if you'd hit their 2017 ICO and bought some sell tokens, you've absolutely killed it. You've, you've basically changed your life. And so there are opportunities out there that are now accessible to people that previously couldn't access those kind of deals. Yep. And fair enough, good on you. Like that's absolutely epic. That's how, that's how this should function. At the same time, you know, the amount of people I heard talking about Dogecoin back in May of this year, because Elon Musk is on some TV show talking about it, who are like, you know, taxi drivers, um, people on the plane. I, I did a trip from Melbourne to Sydney and the guys on the plane on the, on the road behind me were talking about it. There was someone in the airport talking about it and the, the Uber driver was talking about it. Oh. And I'm like, wow. You know, what, you know what really sucks about that? So I've, for years... I've used Bitcoin initially to teach kids about cryptocurrency. Mm. Tried to think how much money I've lost from that, but I used started using Doge. So I just got a bunch of it, worth yeah. nothing, whatever. And then Elon starts tweeting about, "I'm like, oh my god, so we can't use that anymore." <laughs> like it was great because it was fun. Had a, yeah. a dog. You could sort of learn about the fundamentals. And it's it's an mm. it's open blockchain, but it's worthless, mm. right? Because it's just unlimited supply. But it's yeah just it really it's aggravated mad. me it, it's madness absolute madness yeah. and so that's uh, where people just have to be really careful and and you know Elon Musk doesn't care about the cab driver or the people no. on the plane or the people yeah. in the airport he's just playing his his games I mean market manipulation is the oldest of old school um tactics for for making money I mean I just finished a book it was awesome called the reminiscences of a stock operator and it was written back in 1920 1930 so it's 100 wow. years old Jeez. and it was um, a fictional story following a non-fictional character who was uh, an american trading on wall street who basically was a wonderful early technical analyst looking at trends and how to time the market and basically trade in and out of certain stocks And at the time it was like big railway stocks or iron companies things like that um, but it details in the book very clearly how you'd have customers come to a Wall Street expert who were um, long a certain stock that basically was underperforming how they expected it to perform. And they're like, we want to get out of our massive position. But if they put all of their shares on the market, then the, the, the share market would drop even further. So they would get even more screwed. So they go to this guy and they would literally ramp up the media They'd ramp up the, the contact base that they had and, and they'd start like pretending that he was buying because he, he used to make money all the time. So as soon as someone saw him make a move on a stock, everyone else would take it as signal that that's like a good stock to buy. He may, may have never even bought any. Wow. And yeah. people would start talking about it. They'd go out, they'd start buying all this stock and his client essentially would start drip feeding their shitty stock onto the market. The public would come and buy it. And then, oh, you know, now he's not talking about it any longer. He's moved on to another stock and maybe never even bought it. Oh my and his clients managed to exit their position. And who's, who's caught the buck? All of the, the cab drivers and, and everyone else that's, you know, not an expert in the space, but wants to make a quick buck. Yeah. And so crypto today is absolutely identical to that from 100 years ago. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, so handle with care, anyone listening out there, it's... Um, <laughs> It's a, it's a tricky space and there's there's so many amazing glossy marketing manuals and everything else um, that are very capable of pulling you down the the rabbit hole um, For sure. but yeah at the same time like just to draw back to the start of what, what kicked off this particular vein um, I see an extraordinary rate of innovation I see the, bl the blockchain is going to be um, a wonderful way for us to build um, new kind of social contracts, new hierarchies, new ways of doing business. And it's only just getting going. And some of the, the projects that you can potentially buy their tokens today 
will be extraordinarily valuable ecosystems in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what excites me most, though, is this concept of disrupting central banks. And so a lot of these cryptos that you, know, you might be able to access, they're not doing that. That's what Bitcoin is doing. And yeah. central banking is really just a handful of extraordinarily wealthy families who have sold this dream to a load of people that think that it's totally normal that they just print more money when they feel like it. And it's like, well, that's crazy. And so not, that not cool. Yeah. <laughs> disrupting that to me is that's a genuinely profound step change in how we organize society. And that's something that I can really associate with spending the rest of my life working towards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hundred percent agree. Um, am I right in saying that you're a Sunday Times best selling author? No. No? All right. Uh, so Google that. <laughs> no. But you're, there you're is another a... there is another guy called Jake Woodhouse who is that. Right. Yeah. And it kind of looked like you as well. Like, um, but you do write I on some stuff. I did the Google when you sometimes you Google search yourself, right? You're like, do I come up? And yeah. um, that author appeared whenever I did that years ago. So that's, no, that's funny. Not as. Me, no. <laughs> um, well, you do write on Substack. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, me, yeah. Yeah. Have you looked into the Lightning Network at all and writing specifically on the? Lightning Network. That's something that I've sort of been looking um, into recently with something called yeah, pretty cool. org. Yeah. Um, so uh, only at a very high level. Um, and and I'll, I'll just explain it through examples. So obviously um, the Bitcoin conference that happened earlier this year and um, Jack Manners gets up on stage and brings on the El Salvadoran president and best. tells this amazing yeah. amazing story as to how an entrepreneur in america ends up you know in central america and comes across a problem and utilizes a technology that previously didn't exist to solve that problem and it's an amazing story and to highlight what that problem is it's it's effectively it's the international remittance market is horrendous for the people involved in it so whether you're el salvadoran based in the states sending money back to El Salvador, the, the US dollars that you earn every day that you want to send to your family, like, I don't know what the total percent is for, for El Salvador disappears, but Western Huge. Union is very expensive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'll give you another example. We actually, so on a Thursday night in Melbourne, I do a Twitter spaces and we had Lord Fosutua join us, who is oh, a cool. Tongan yeah, parliamentarian. Yeah. This happened a couple a couple weeks ago. Oh, I should have jumped in. Damn. <laughs> yeah, you should have joined. Come, come next time. I will, yeah. yeah. Um, he tells a great story, which is if you're Tongan and you're in Sydney and you want to send 100 bucks back to Tonga, you go to Western Union, you put your 100 bucks in. Now, that Western Union uh, has an affiliate branch in a town somewhere in Tonga. So your family member has to spend 10 bucks on a cab to get into town, gets to the Western Union. They receive $70 because Western Union takes a 30% fee on the way through. And you then likely have a bunch of either thieves, gang members, or beggars on the on the doorstep of Western Union. So you might lose another five, ten bucks out the door, and then you'd spend ten bucks going home. So a hundred dollars has disappeared to forty bucks. Now Tonga has a GDP of around half a billion dollars, so five hundred million, of which two hundred million is in remittance. So as a country, if they can improve their remittance. Uh, kind of costing by 50%, which is what the current system costs them, then they've made $100 million, which is a, a 20% uptick on their total GDP of the country. That's an extraordinary change. Yeah, There's a load of other geopolitical impacts where basically they're no longer dependent on foreign aid, the World Bank that screwed them and caused a whole load of riots 20 years ago, and equally now the, the, the imperialism of China and their you know One Belt, One Road initiative where they're building schools and you know, they put infrastructure in, but at what cost? Yeah. Um, and they're looking at then potentially Bitcoin mining on volcanoes in Tonga. You're like, whoa, this is a yeah. powerful technology. It's amazing. So the Lightning Network is, as um, as you touched on slightly, the, the layer above the Bitcoin base layer that effectively it means that you can aggregate a load of payments together. So you and I use our Visa card on a daily basis, and that ultimately is money moving from our bank to another bank. But on a daily basis, Visa doesn't do that automatically. They mm -hmm. aggregate together all of those different transactions. They work out which bank owes what bank what, 
And then later on, day two, I don't even know when, they'll then settle those outstandings. Uh, and it's the same concept with Bitcoin and Lightning. So Lightning is going to develop into a system in which there's liquidity effectively. And you can have lots and lots of microtransactions at very, very low cost that get settled on the base layer at a, um, at a, at a prearranged date later in time. So you are able to cut extraordinary costs from international transactions for micropayments. And this is a, an unbelievably powerful application of Bitcoin that I'm very excited about. Have I specifically started writing more about how it works and the innovation in the space? No. There's a very good newsletter from Lightning Labs that you can sign up to that details yeah. loads of cool projects that are being worked on and how it's actually functioning. But it's it's very exciting. I, I, great subject, I agree. So my, my two favorite projects probably at the moment built on Lightning is something called yours.org. So you literally uh -huh. write, write articles, um, you stake X amount of uh, sats against that on the Lightning Network, and then people pay as they read your article. It's very, very cool. So innovative. Yeah. And the other one, obviously, is podcasting. What was, it, what was that called? Sorry. Uh, Yalls.org. Y-A-L-L-S.org. Strange name, but really cool project. Cool. Um, yeah. So actually, I'm going to look at uh, bringing, we're actually writing a book about my school um, with the ex-principal and some other people. And we're going to put it specifically on the Lightning Network. So like the, the world's first Bitcoin school. And then, yeah, cool. that should be pretty cool. Um, but the other one I'm really excited about, I don't know if you're doing this yet with your podcast, um, Podcasting 2.0. So yeah, yeah if you, you've, you, you guys are onto that already. So this, this no, is obviously- No, we're not, no. Oh, you no. totally should. Um, so basically you just have to spin up a Lightning node um, yeah. at home. And yep. literally as people are listening to this, they mm -hmm. can pay you. And the cool thing is, I didn't realize this until just recently with um, my other podcast, the IPFS podcast, you can split payments. So you put your node uh, address, my node address. And then as we're getting, as people are listening, the mm -hmm. payments get split between us. It's just so cool. And the, yeah, the apps you can, you can run off that. So there's an app called Breeze, which is a full node on your phone that lets you literally talk to all these, uh, talk to people listening to the podcast at the same time on something called Sphinx Chat. Yeah. And pay people that you're listening to in real time. It's just just amazing, amazing tech. Wow. So I think like where it's going is just going to be out of this world. So that's why I'm kind of like with the whole Maxi thing, kind of going back to that. I think like the innovation that's being built like off the Bitcoin blockchain is really it, it needs to be incentivized by these other projects sort of thing. So I don't, I don't think we'd be where we're at now if there wasn't the sort of systems being built off that. So it's cool to see. Um, anyway, check out those two, two podcasts. So you're... Yeah, have a look. I, oh, I, two, just two before you keep, keep going, I um I have some comments just on on those concepts. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. And also, I'm going to have to run in about five minutes. So we'll have to just... Okay, then. We'll, we'll leave the um, news then. <laughs> yeah, sorry, if you don't mind. Nah, no I see a world today in which, you know, you look at YouTube, they can arbitrarily switch you off whenever they want. Mm. And they're effectively a, a marketplace for um, companies or whoever wants to pay them, frankly, to have a, um, a very specific agenda that's allowed. They're, they're censoring, like there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, the same applies for Facebook, the same applies for Twitter. The, the digital experience that the internet dreamed of creating has been corrupted by um, basically a bunch of walled gardens, right? These companies, individuals, um, they, they run our online experience. Google, like, you only have to look very, very briefly at the dissemination of information around COVID and the different solutions to the problem to see that there was some actors behind the scenes that had a very, very, very large interest in specific solutions being the only ones possible. Mm -hmm. And you try and type something in online and it says fake news. <laughs> well, who's, you know, who, who's deciding that? Yeah. And so the ability to build communication networks on top of Bitcoin that are uncensorable is absolutely critical to yeah. the preservation of freedom of speech. Oh, Z so, Zion's another one on that point. So this is a well, social media. I was just going to bring Are you going to say, ah, cool, cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're, you're bang on. I listened to Justin Resvani of Zion um, 
interviewed and it's it's epic what yeah. lightning is going to enable yeah and this concept so first of all creators owning their own data you can't be deplatformed by wherever you create your community mm -hmm. and second of all it's this idea of second layer um almost like endorsement so let's say we create this show and someone really enjoys it they can just pay us directly using lightning cool yep. they might send us like you know 10 cents whatever yeah yep. they can choose and it goes straight to us with no middleman Second to that, it's then, well, if that person really enjoys it and they share it to someone else and that person enjoys it, the second person might want to tip the, the creator, but the creator could have set it up so that anyone that shares someone that gets paid, gets paid as well. And yeah. this concept of, you know, oh, actually all of your fans or, or, or whoever your audience might be can also benefit in their interaction with the show. Um, or the source of information or the product or the education or whatever it is that they might be um, might be doing online yeah um yeah so I'm, I'm with you on that i need to look into podcast 2.0 more and oh the, well, if, if you need help running is, um, it's it's a bit it's a bit uh clunky and yeah you have to be you have to be a, you got to be a geek to do it but if you need help yeah. i can, I can sort you out um yeah, but it's it's so exciting when you're just looking at it and you see someone give you a few sats for stuff yeah. that you're talking about like it's it's like magic so yeah i definitely think you guys got to get on well, and on that i recently interviewed as well the um the chief bitcoin officer of perth heat baseball oh. so this is a baseball club in perth australia that's adopted the bitcoin standard oh, no and way. it's amazing listening to them talk about the future of sport and they envisage a situation in which say you watch an amazing shot or an amazing goal or yeah. whatever live entertainment someone gets knocked out in a boxing ring whatever then they will have lightning addresses for <laughs> those sports players i love that and you'll be able to tip them during the game whatever you might want to tip them yeah and it's all direct right it goes straight to that sports player so the sports player is obviously incentivized to you know behave for their fans in a certain way and they'll get rewarded for that um and and they see yeah just it was a really interesting vision that sounds amazing how that kind of micro payments thing will will affect the sport industry for example. yeah everything it's gonna oh, it's gonna fix so many things oh thanks thanks for doing this jake this is this is awesome it was no, uh, pleasure, pleasure. yeah really cool uh meeting you finally after stalking you on twitter um yeah no but, worries but yeah we'll have to do it again sometime i think there's a lot of stuff sure. that we didn't, and didn't get if through. there's anything i can do to help or anything anytime just reach out um and good awesome. luck building your podcast and good <laughs> luck with everything you're working on likewise likewise awesome thanks thank again. you very much see ya bye-bye